Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to a special panel discussion on the 20th CPC National Congress, Now and Beyond, brought to you by CGTN from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. We're honored to have an impressive lineup of panelists. Here in the studio, we have Dr. Siabongasvele, South African Ambassador to China, and Professor Xietao, Dean of the School of International Relations and Diplomacy at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Warm welcome, gentlemen. We are joined online in alphabetical order by Arancha Gonzalez Laya, former Foreign Minister of Spain, now Dean of the Paris School of International Affairs at uh, Sciences Po. She was also Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations and Executive Director of the International Trade Center. We have Martin Jakes, a former Senior Fellow of the Department of uh, Politics and International Studies at Cambridge University. Jumat Otobayev, former Prime Minister of Kyrgyzstan. Professor Jeffrey Sachs, Director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University. Eric Solheim, former UN Undersecretary General, now President of the Green Belt and Road Institute. And last but not least, Professor Zhang Weiwei, Dean of China Institute at Fudan University. The warmest welcome to all of you. Let's start our discussion right away, and I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Swele, the ambassador of South Africa to China. I understand that South Africa and China has a very strong relationship, and uh, China has meant very, very strongly and has actually done a lot in building a human community of shared future. I wonder, what is your biggest takeaway from reading the, and from following the 20th National Congress of the CPC? Thank you very much. Um, first, uh, my own president, President Ramaphosa, first wished the Congress a great success, but we had the, all the hopes because we had no knew that the relations we have with the Communist Party of China and the government of China is really what we are pushing for, to have a fairer world, to have a peaceful world, to have a transformation of these global governance systems. But what is important, it's happening at a time when we are facing major global challenges which require real leadership. We're just coming out of a COVID pandemic, which was devastating to developing countries. We're facing a devastating climate change impact, particularly in developing countries and poor communities, destroying infrastructure, drought, and the, the conflicts which are going around, uh, like the conflict in Europe and other parts of the world, is uh, really having negative impact in terms of the prices, inflation, shortages, and so on. So there was a lot of hope that this meeting of the leaders will give a clear direction on how, as progressive world, we can deal with these challenges, because these challenges need cooperation, they need leadership. Were you satisfied with the solutions proposed? Uh, we also congratulated the delegates, <laughs> our president, after the conference, because we looked very carefully at the outcomes. And uh, the outcomes of upholding multilateralism, the outcome of uh, ensuring that we're pushing for this noble idea of peace in the world, the outcome of leaving no one behind and share this uh, common prosperity, not only for Chinese, but all mankind of the world. Those are the things we really need in terms of uh, 
having a concerted effort to confront these challenges we are facing humanity today. Well, we actually passed um, media reports from 78 different medias in the United States and UK over the past two weeks to see what kind of focuses they put on the development and what we found, for instance, the most frequently used words were leader, party, power or superpower and political, uh, among others. And they mostly focused on four aspects, for instance, um, the composition of the Central Committee, of course, the personnel issue, China's economy under dynamic zero-COVID policy, the military, and the Taiwan question, and of course the war in Ukraine. So it probably makes more sense for a Western audience, but uh, it is also quite conspicuous what is missing, what is not mentioned in these reports. Let me go to Professor Jeffrey Sachs uh, for your comments, because you are living in the United States and you are surrounded by these reports. What do you think can we tell about the West uh, view about China from what is missing in their reportage, for instance, poverty alleviation, climate change, peaceful development, common development, these are all not mentioned. Right now, the United States is raising tensions with China. It's doing so deliberately, dangerously and provocatively. And the main media in the United States go along with this U.S. government line. So it is absolutely uh, true that when I read, of course, the detailed report of President Xi, uh, there were so many interesting things that should have been reported, but all we got in the main Western media was China getting ready for conflict, uh, all harsh messages. This is a narrative that is in the United States. The U.S. is also trying to pull Europe into this negative narrative vis-a-vis -vis China. It is a huge mistake. I've been saying so for many years. And the media coverage in the United States was going along with this U.S. government narrative. We don't need these tensions. We don't need these conflicts. They're extraordinarily dangerous. We need, first of all, multilateralism under the U.N. Charter. We need and have a multipolar world. It's not a world that the U.S. leads, but sometimes many people in U.S. leadership, in the U.S. government, think they lead the world. This is a huge mistake and a huge danger. But we need to reduce these tensions. And unfortunately, uh, right now in the U.S. political scene, there's actually a desire to raise the tensions. How it's do you extraordinarily dangerous. What are you reading that is important from the report, from the spirit of the report that is not mentioned by the mainstream U.S. narrative? What do you think is the complete China message? The true China message was a message of multilateralism, that China wants a multilateral world under the U.N. Charter very explicitly. It doesn't seek uh, domination. Uh, it doesn't seek conflict in any way. Uh, and the message is absolutely explicit. This is not my interpretation. These are uh, the very words uh, that one finds if you actually read the report, not our newspapers. Uh, but the U.S. Uh, is in a, in a different game right now. Uh, the U.S. government, I should say. The American people, not so much, but the U.S. government uh, thinks that we are in a grand competition with China, that it's a, a devastating competition. Uh, we need to contain China. Many very harsh 
absolutely anachronistic, dangerous ideas. By the way, at the same time as we have a proxy war between the United States and Russia, because that war in Ukraine has a great deal to do with the American intention to push NATO into Ukraine and across the Black Sea into Georgia. And this is another narrative that the United States doesn't want the people to know or understand, oh, yeah. but it's a reality. Yeah. So these tensions need to be reduced because the world is at an extremely dangerous crossroads right so, now. So, yeah, in the aftermath of this Congress and in this very dangerous mentality among some politicians in the West, where do you see the world going in the next five years with China trying to exercise maximum uh, restraint when it, when it comes to international geopolitics because it wants a peaceful environment for development? Of course it wants a peaceful environment. The peaceful environment has been wonderful for China's end of poverty and its economic development and its developing relations with other parts of the world. And we should absolutely celebrate those accomplishments, not view them as threats, but celebrate them. So what we need is dialogue. We need better understanding. We need uh, we, we, we need the leaders of China and the United States to meet routinely. We need governments to meet routinely so that this is a normal relationship. And we're not hearing that from the U.S. government. We're not hearing it from our media. But I think the intention stated very clearly from the 20th Party Congress is that's what China wants. And if China can explain that clearly to the world, that will be good because I hope other countries in the world will also say to the US leaders, tone it down. We don't want these tensions. We don't want new cold wars. We don't want a divided world. We actually need cooperation to solve climate change, right. poverty, and other instabilities in the world today. Thank you very much for your valuable insight. Yeah, let's uh, continue the discussion here in the studio. I want to go to Professor Xietao. What is your take about these um, these calls for dialogue, calls for mutual understanding and not letting things spiral down? President Xi actually quoted a Confucian truism in his report, which is dating back 2,500 years ago, and I'm going to quote here, all living things may grow side by side without harming one another, and different roads may run in parallel without interfering with one another. What does he want to say by quoting these words? I think President Xi's um, central message to the rest of the world is that China does want to commit itself to a peaceful world, and China pursues peaceful coexistence. And so you mentioned the Confucian aphorism, and so many years ago, we had this uh, peaceful, uh, harmonious world, harmony in diversity, or diversity in harmony. And so China does not impose or export its own values, institutions to the other countries. Neither does China would like to see other countries to tell us what you should do and we all understand that China has a massive population. China is very different from many other countries. And so, as President Xi Jinping, I think this is the central message of the 20th Party Congress report delivered by him, is that China is going to achieve national rejuvenation through a Chinese mode or road to modernization. 
Now, modernization is a very complicated process. Every guest here probably knows more than I do about the process of modernization. It could be very bloody. It could be filled with armed conflicts. Many countries achieved its own modernization through colonialism, through occupation, through a killing, mass killing. But look at Chinese record. You know, China was never involved in a war since 1978. Chinese process of modernization. We look at China. We also emphasized this common prosperity you mentioned. It's a modernization for every Chinese. We lifted over 600 million people out of absolute poverty. This is a, an unprecedented historical achievement, right? And so I think you know this is a, what Chinese leadership really wants to convey to the world: Chinese people and the Chinese government mean everything peaceful, and we want to live peacefully together with the rest of the world. But let us do. Our way, basically, Mr. Jakes. I'm calling you.、Uh, you have always been commenting on Chinese affairs, and actually, this Chinese path of modernization has some concrete connotations. For instance, it's a modernization about uh, uh, harmony between humanity and nature. It's、uh, modernization of a mass population. There is no country bigger than that, not yet. It's a modernization of both material and cultural ethical. Prosperity. It's a、um, modernization of peaceful development. There are altogether five concrete connotations that President Xi articulated during the 20th Party Congress. Why now, and why stressing these aspects? Well, I think China's reached a point now where it's on the verge of a new kind of modernization in a range of different respects. Economically, <laughs> clearly, China is now. In some ways, on a par or not far behind the United States, and so one of the key proposals in President Xi's speech is the idea of a new kind of modernization. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it it essentially recognizes two things. The first thing, which we've been talking about, and I won't、uh, spend a lot of time on, but the importance of a peaceful environment. China's peaceful relationship with the world. China's always required this because it's been its history ever since British Industrial Revolution has been so marked by war and aggression against it. So it's absolutely critical for China. But the point I want to emphasise here is one particular aspect, which is common prosperity, and that is the difficulty with modernisation. Basically, for a long time, has been、uh, largely influenced by the American model. Um, and part of that American model, a key aspect, has been very great inequality. And China also, until recently,、uh, had, well, still has a, a high level of inequality. And I think that common prosperity is about addressing this. So why should modernization be synonymous in some respects with inequality? And I think by challenging this and making this a priority, not just growth, but a degree of Equality、uh, as a central part of China's approach, I think, is really important because it's not just relevant for China. You see,、uh, American-style globalization, inequality spread across virtually all societies. Now, if China can reverse that process and create a much more equitable environment in its own country, I think this will have a very big impact around、yeah. the world. A new kind kind of modernization. Is inclusive. It's not exclusive. Right. It creates a new kind of harmony, not、yeah. disharmony. And I think this is a very important 
possibility and message from the Congress. Ms. Arancha Gonzalez, you were uh, promoting trade, trade liberalization and trade facilitation, especially for underprivileged people in developing countries. What is your takeaway from China's emphasis on common prosperity and the larger version of it, which is common development, not just for China, but for other developing countries as well? I think this is the most important message that we should uh, keep in mind for the future. In the 21st century, whatever is good for China needs to be good for the rest of the world. And whatever is good for the rest of the world needs to be good for China. This is the 21st century. We are living in the same planet. Uh, we have the same difficulties, uh, whether it's uh, managing pandemics, whether it's ensuring financial stability, whether it is the existential challenge of our time to manage climate change, or whether it's to ensure we leave no citizen behind. For this, it's important that what works for China works for the rest of the world and vice versa. Because if it doesn't, then we will enter into a zero-sum world, and a zero-sum world is a world that will leave lots of people behind. Now, the economy is a big part of making sure we leave no one behind. This is why I think it's important that uh, this process of uh, opening the economy and reforming the economy in China, the one that has reaped so many benefits in terms of competitiveness, innovation, growth, and ultimately eradication of poverty, be continued. Keep opening the economy, keep reforming the economy. It's good for China, but it will be also very important for the rest of the world, in particular developing countries. And in doing so, of course, uh, make sure as Agenda 2030 of the UN clearly advocates that you work to ensure you leave no citizen behind. This is uh, a bit what uh, is the challenge in the 21st century. Ensure we've got responses for our global common challenges. Ensure that we have economies that innovate, that create, that remain competitive, and ensure that the distribution of the costs and the benefits is fair. I want to turn to uh, Professor Zhang Weiwei, renowned speaker on the China model. Professor Zhang, do you also think that uh, the common prosperity, the efforts to address inequality, some of the inherent problems of modernization, is the central key message from this Congress? Yes, there is a very clear objective uh, set for the year 2035. China should achieve substantially this level of common prosperity. And the China model has one interesting feature, that is whatever we do, we'll have a pilot project. This time, we set out a whole province, Zhejiang province, as a site for experimentation. The Zhejiang is interesting because it resembles more or less the whole landscape of China, 70% mountainous areas. 10% uh, rivers, uh, waters, you know, 20% uh, arable lands. And uh, so now we try to experiment uh, basically several approaches, when, how to overcome income gap, how to uh, reduce rural uh, urban gap, and how to reduce regional gaps. And Zhejiang has been conducting experiments in all these three areas. And what's more important is uh, Within three years, by the year 2025, three years from now, Zhejiang should achieve this 
national objective for the year 2035, 10 years ahead. So you can look at the Zhejiang, how they have done. For instance, concerning this uh, urban-rural gap, one major problem is uh, in rural areas and urban areas, hospitals are much better in urban areas. So now I have this appointment, they send uh, urban doctors from urban area cities to the countryside, to rural areas on the regular terms. So this approach. And then concerning this income gap, the policy is very clear about expanding the middle class. They have very specific targets by which year, by which year they will achieve that what? purpose. Yeah. And then concerning this region differences, they have between the cities, between the counties, between the rich region and poor region yeah. within Zhejiang province. I want to go to our Kyrgyz friend, uh, Mr. Orobayev, former prime minister there. Let's switch to a different topic. For quite some time now, China has been advocating a new type of international relations that calls for equality, openness, cooperation, and broadening the convergence of interests with other countries. China has uh, recently, as we all know, proposed the Global Development Initiative and the Global Security Initiative. Uh, how do you look at the, the voices of worries about whether China is on the right side of history when it comes to international relations, when it comes to geopolitics? This issue is extremely important for us as neighbors. So we live together for centuries and centuries. We know each other and emergence of China during the last 40 years is great news for us. So now we're communicating, cooperating very closely, economically, politically, socially, people-to-people -people communication. So far, things moving very well. So what everybody observing now is that China has uh, Communist Party 20th Congress claimed that it will go for modernization and high-quality development. In retrospect, I would like to emphasize point to high-quality development. This is extremely important for our countries because we, as a former Soviet Union country, have very highly educated population. So we're ready to work with China on high-quality development. What does it mean? For China, it very clearly means that it will move on overcoming the middle-income trap. So within very short, either this year or early next year, China will overcome next barrier and will come uh, to the class, to the certain group of leaving this middle-income uh, country group. Thank you so much, Your Excellency. Very important keywords you mentioned there, which is high-quality development. And another key integral part of that is about the relationship between humanity and nature, which is extremely important, according to President Xi, because for the past 10 years, he has repeatedly stressed the importance of uh, environmental protection, climate change response, ecological diversity and conservation, so on and so forth. So last but not least, let me turn to my dear friend, Eric Solheim, who is uh, now president of the Green Belt and Road Institute. Thank you very much for bearing with me. As I said, Harmony has been put to an even higher level of importance, I would even say, right? Harmony between humanity and, uh, and nature. What is your takeaway when China is stressing green and low carbon development? If we don't dig into every detail, but take a historical view of the party congress, three things stand out in my view. 
This was the first party congress after China has bro has brought poverty, extreme poverty, to zero. Uh, China's done that at a higher speed, at a higher number of people than any other power in human history. So it's a major achievement and should be celebrated by the world. Secondly, it was a message of peace from the Congress. Look, China has not been into any war for the last 40 years. United States, Russia, European powers, basically everyone else has been uh, into a war. So this is from a historical perspective, fantastic and major power of the world, not intervening in any war. And the third is ecological civilization. China is now the world leader on basically every green technology. If you may, and the, the main problem is of course that there is the view in the United States that it's hard to accept another power at the level of the United States. That's deep down in the US, but also in the wider West. It's hard with Western arrogance for us to accept uh, China as an equal power. But fortunately, there are two main counterforces. One is business. Uh, the in level of economic integration is increasing. The trade level between the United States and China will reach its peak this year. It will not go down. Even with the tension is increasing, we are becoming more and more dependent on each other. And the second force is, which was very well set out from Armenia, no other nation want to choose. When the security advisor of the United States asked African leaders, he told them, oh, you need to choose between the United States or uh, China, either you have a China or you have the US. Not one African leader raised his or her hand. No one wants to choose. We all, all other nations in the world basically want to benefit from investment, technology, trade with both the United States and China. We want to have people-to-people's relationship with both nations, and we want to have stable political relations to one. So if the United States ask the world to choose, they will have a very hard time because no other nation really wants to have that choice. Yeah. Many thanks to all our panelists for your wonderful insight and extremely valued. With that, we come to the end of uh, the special panel discussion on the 20th CPC National Congress, now and beyond, brought to you by CGTN. I'm Li Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Li Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> With that, learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Bahn. Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world.